With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the 1012, a podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and non-sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. Don't take my word for it. Go check them out yourself. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. We got a great show for you today. And as we do every Monday, you just should expect a good show. I know he's a little down right now because he just came away from a, a Lady Jayhawk loss. I don't like using Lady, sorry, just Jayhawks. Just Jayhawks. We don't, we don't use the Lady term here. Not even for Bears either. We've had this discussion. Andy Mitz. I was going to say the only ones that are Lady something would be uh, the Lady Heck. Raiders. So that's actually their official nickname. So, but yes, no, I agree. Um, you know, it was it was a good game though. Uh, Kansas almost upset Oklahoma with only three players really actually scoring anything. So, you know, only have three players that actually put the ball in the basket routinely. It's kind of hard against a team like Oklahoma. So, but I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that in in the uh, not necessarily that particular game, but we'll talk a lot about women's hoops coming up here. We will, we will. Kansas racking up a lot of almosts this uh, back half of the schedule also here who will of course have plenty to say about women's basketball and needs to explain why she was crying that is jsj jamie steyer johnson the vibe queen herself i mean if you follow women's basketball you know but if you don't i don't really care to explain it to you but you know we'll get there we'll get there it's all good i got home at 12 30 last night i should have taken a nap today i'm not responsible for what comes out of my mouth in the next we have a guest so what hour and a half no wait 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 wait. jamie you've made it abundantly clear you're never responsible for anything that comes out of your mouth no matter whether right. you had a nap or right. not so it's just like, a reminder a nap has nothing to do with it <laughs> I like to have new and fresh excuses every time. Oh, when we get to the women's basketball stuff, remind me to tell you about the bald eagle. Bald eagle? That's what we're going to talk about. There you go. Ask Teaser. Jamie, bald eagle. Love a good tease. Keep, keeping uh, the people around. That is around. right. We do have a guest today, and I, I don't know how the hell we have made it all the way to February 19th. Mid-February, this late into the season, and have not had him on the show. This It had to be rectified. For three straight weeks, we've been like, can you come on Sunday? Yeah. Okay, well, not this Sunday. How about next Sunday? Well, it's a Super Bowl. Okay, never mind. How about next Sunday? So we've been trying for three weeks to get him on. That is Brian Ralph himself of Heat Check College Basketball. Brian, welcome back to the show, friend. Yeah, th thank you for not having me on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, because you could not have trusted anything that came out of my mouth if we were recording <laughs> after that. So... Um, but I'm happy to be on. So we'll uh, we'll do men's here on the first half, as that is, that is what our good friend Brian covers, and then we will get to women's on the second half. We're gonna open the show with a little nugget. Uh, this coming from Chip Brown of Horns Two Four Seven. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna direct quote this from uh, from what he wrote. So there's no you know it's just purely from him. Uh, a source close to Beard, that would be former Texas head coach Chris Beard, said Beard has been spending time at a house in Mississippi owned by former NBA and college coach Tim Floyd. The source said Beard has been entertaining offers. Shocker, folks. Uh, including possibly working as a special assistant to West Virginia coach Bob Huggins next season. Another source close to Beard said, considering the felony charge was dropped, it was, Beard would likely get at least one Power 5 head coaching job offer after this season. So, yes, the felony charge was dropped. We believe wholeheartedly that what was alleged to have happened, happened. 
just because a charge is dropped does not mean what occur uh, what is assumed to have occurred did not occur. That's just how the legal system works. Uh, I'm just going to start with the West Virginia side. I know that uh, Huggins' tenure at West Virginia has been a little bit rough the last couple of seasons. He had to uh, let go of a very, very long-time prominent assistant. They brought somebody new in. And, and the things just aren't going the way that you would expect in Morgantown. And West Virginia fans certainly expect in Morgantown. But it, uh, I'm having a hard time with this one. I'm having a hard time with, yeah, that's fine. Let's, let's bring him in. I know things aren't going well, but I'm I'm just not I'm not cool with bringing beer to West Virginia. Just period. You are running that line of um, obviously we all assume something terrible happened. Legally, though, there is nothing that says you can't hire him. Because of that, somebody is going to. Right. The same reason, like we all thought Rick Pitino would never coach again. Right. When all the FBI stuff first came down, then it's like, oh, he's the only one who actually had any penalties. Yeah. Let's get him back in the mix. And now he's in line for a couple big geese jobs. Right. And now Chris Beard's situation is a little bit more serious than Rick Pitino's was. um, But he doesn't have anything legally hanging over his head. And so then you play this game of chicken, essentially, because you don't want to be the one who takes the huge PR hit, but you also have a guy who before all of this and coming into the season was well-regarded as one of, if not the best young coach in the country. And if you are Bob Huggins, who is trying to get things back on track and re-energize West Virginia, um, you might look at that. Also, who knows how much longer Bob Huggins is around? coaching West Virginia. And so if you want to kind of test the waters, if you're West Virginia's administration to see how things with beard are like both working with him and the reaction to having him around, you potentially want him to replace Huggins. Let's, let's just kind of jump to means to an end there. This is kind of, this would be the way to dip your toe in that pool without having to dive all the way in. I was going to say for all the people who sit there and scream about how can culture is real there's a lot of really shitty people that get to do a lot of really great things so he's gonna go get a job they're gonna do some pr tour to try and clean up his image a bunch of people are gonna be ticked off about it and ultimately they're not gonna care like this is about money this is about wins people are still gonna go play for him people are gonna hire him like we all should just make our peace with it now i think it's garbage if you talk about how First of all, oh, it's all about the student athlete, whatever. Like, oh, it's about them as people. Oh, so you're going to hire this guy? Oh, that's that's a really great example you're setting there. Like, just everyone just be, be freaking honest with yourself. All you care about is the numbers. It's not about setting a great example. Like, for a lot of places, it never has been. There are some programs that do a great job of developing people as human beings, that they practice what they preach. For the majority of them, that is absolutely not the case. And frankly, for the places that do, it's more a side effect of if you hire someone who actually cares and is a good person. But if they weren't winning, they would get fired just like everybody else. So obviously, I'm a little bit fired up about it. It pisses me off. There's nothing that really can be done about it because it is what it is. This is not new even in the slightest. And so we better just get used to it. He's going to be back. He's going to be coaching at... Probably a decently big school before too awful long, if it takes long at all. And so you better just get used to it. And uh, oh boy, am I curious about what the student sections are going to have to say about that. Yeah, I mean, really, I think the easiest way to sum it up is that this all just feels gross, right? Like, like there is there is a fine line that could have been walked where if Beard had acknowledged that something happened, that, you know, he did something that he shouldn't have but it didn't rise to the level that he was accused of. Like if that was the line that he decided to tow, then I think it would be a lot easier to get behind the idea of, Hey, look, people make mistakes, right? Like if you make a mistake, you take accountability for what you did. You look, you know, you make an honest effort to show that you have changed. Then I think it's really easy for people to want to somebody who is that talented, who can coach that well to give them another opportunity. You know, I, I think 
when I think of a sports related incident of somebody, you know, completely screwing up and making good on it and getting back to being accepted, I think of Michael Vick, right. With the, with the, the animal cruelty and, and all of that, but then he completely turned things around. He's now an advocate for animals and is doing the best that he can to make up for the mistakes that he made. He took responsibility for it and obviously going to jail, you know, helped with that a little bit, but there, there appears to be no remorse from beard. His line has always been, I did absolutely nothing wrong. I was only defending myself. And if he hadn't gone quite so strong, like I understand legally why he had to do that. But the fact is that, you know, by by taking the stance that he did and coming out so strongly and saying, I've done absolutely nothing wrong when every single one of us knows that something happened. They just can't prove what they had said it was uh, beyond a reasonable doubt like they need to in a court. Like it's going to leave a really bad taste in anyone's mouth. And it does not sound like you would hope that at some point here, you know, he would acknowledge that something happened that he he has made mistakes of some sort and that he is wanting to move past that and do something. But until that happens, no matter where he ends up, it is going to be something that opponents are going to use. It is going to be, you know, there will be a ton of negative recruiting around it. I can guarantee you that if he gets hired at a school, every single coach that is recruiting against, you know, against him is going to go into the parents' houses and talk about this. And like, do you really want your son around that? And, and so it is going to be a big deal. It is going to get dragged through the mud multiple times like there is no way that this is ever going away and we're all going to be reminded about how gross it is every single time that he you know is in on a big recruit or you know his team does really well or or whatever it is so i mean i wish i could wholeheartedly agree with you but i don't think that that's true i do think i think, it goes I think away. where we're at now that it's much more likely that there will be a a very large contingent of people that are willing to keep beating that drum but i i do agree that there will probably be at best 50 50 on that. And that like there will be a ton you, you of people that are going to destroy from, by it. You have people from Bryle's staff that get hired and it's oh an gosh. uproar when it happens. And then it dies down. Like you, there's, there's just not the energy. There's not the resources to do anything about it. So you can sit there and scream yourself hoarse, but ultimately it's, it's all for nothing. So why waste your breath? frankly so it's one of those things that and you said you know it'll leave a bad taste in anyone's mouth and unfortunately that's also not true there's people out there talking about how they want him to come coach for their school because people simply don't care they don't care good people get fired every day crappy people get promotions every day uh and the wheel continues to spin let's talk about Chris Beard's former team, the Texas Longhorns, eek by Oklahoma, 85-83 in overtime in Austin. This comes after a loss at a now um, surprisingly on-the-rise Texas Tech. Texas still sits atop the conference standings, though tied with Kansas at 10-4. and Here's the question for you guys. Let me, let me, does Texas win the Big 12, whether alone or or tied for first place, or is Texas going to fall out of first place? And let me tell you their schedule to close out the last two weeks of the regular season. Home for Iowa State, at Baylor, on the rise, at TCU, healthy, and home versus Kansas. Brian? Texas, to me, scares me more than any team in the Big 12 in the NCAA tournament. But they're going to probably go 2-2 and down this stretch because of how tough the schedule is, right? I think if you win three of these games, that's great, and you, you live with that. But more than likely, the scenario here is two and two. They can play great and go two and two with how difficult this is. And I, I two and two is probably not going to get it done unless Kansas slips up somewhere they shouldn't. Um, but to me, again, moving forward, like, Texas is as dangerous, if not more dangerous than any team in this league because of those guards, because of the way they play defense. They are built to win tournament games. For the rest of the regular season, though, these last two weeks, two and two is the goal. Two and two is the goal, which probably keeps them out of the out of a regular season title. It also feels like it's going to probably not. I'm, I feel like the Big 12 might get one one seed. Texas, when we got the uh, the top sixteen, mm-hmm. they were a two, if I recall correctly. Does a a two and two finish, and let's say a win or two in in uh, in Kansas City, does it keep them on that two line, or mm-hmm. are we looking at a more likely three seed? It keeps them on. There's no bad losses they could have on their schedule. 
Like even if they were to lose in their first game of the Big 12 tournament, that's going to be like a quad 1A loss, right? That's that's a good loss that helps your resume. In one of those those cliches, they're they're going to be on two line. It's just a matter of you know whether they're the top two seed or maybe the bottom two seed, right? Where where that falls in the mix, but I think they're pretty safe on that two line. Two and two feels right, as well as good as Texas is this season. I don't know if this last week was just a fluke, but this this last week was a little bit odd for them. Again, you lose at Texas Tech. I know Texas Tech's playing well. They're healthy, finally. You mm-hmm. just get by Oklahoma at home. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it was a one-week whatever or a sign of just they're about to be the next team to hit a slump. Look, we've talked about this. Eight of ten Big 12 teams have had a three-game losing streak in conference play this season. We talked about Texas. This four-game stretch to end the season. If another one's going to happen, it might be them. Uh, speaking of the teams that they have down this stretch, TCU is now healthy, and they put up 100 on Oklahoma State on Saturday. The best defense in the Big 12 looked god-awful. I mean, goodness sakes. You talk about the team that scares you the most in March Madness from the Big 12. Um, I think it's healthy TCU. We've seen what they did against Oklahoma mm-hmm. State. We saw them when they asked they were healthy. They went on the road to Kansas and smoked Kansas. And I know Kansas has a three-game losing streak every season and still wins the Big 12. Kansas is inevitable. Uh, but I'm curious your thoughts on this, TCU. It's a one game. It feels like TCU really, really held Mike Miles out a little bit longer than they probably mm-hmm. had to to make sure he was 100 or as close to 100% as possible. They were in a hurry to get him back. They said, you know what? We don't care if we don't win the Big 12 in the regular season. We're not going to do that. That's fine. What we care about is making sure that heading into this postseason, heading up for a postseason run, that we are as healthy as possible. And Mike Miles looked pretty damn healthy on Saturday. It's incredible the impact he can have, right? Like we often talk about one player and the impact and it's like, oh, well, they, you know, they lost to this team last game and now they're blowing them out in this game. And it's overinflated because a lot of that has to do with game script and, you know, maybe a good shooting night from somebody or whatever. But in Mike Miles's case, it's real. You go back to the early season struggles they had in the loss to Northwestern State. It's because Mike Miles wasn't there. <laughs> you go, they were playing the first game against Oklahoma State. They trailed by 19 without Mike Miles. The Oklahoma State, you know, game over the weekend, they have Mike Miles back. They're up 30. And like a blink of an eye, it is the impact he has on both ends. He spearheads that defense. He runs that, that offense. He is their dynamic playmaker who has a legitimate three-point weapon off the bounce. That's the one thing with TCU that if they're going to fall short in the tournament, it's because they don't shoot the three well. They know that. They do that coming into the season. Jamie Dixon, I give him a ton of credit, adjusted by playing as fast as he ever has in his coaching career. His teams are slow, methodical, defense-oriented, want to grind you down on the half court. This year, they're playing one of the fastest tempos in the country, and they are incredible to watch when they get up and down the court with, with their depth and length and athleticism. It really utilizes all of that. What he adds, though, is a legitimate three-point threat who can create a three for himself off the bounce, and that is the difference maker that – turns TCU's offense from being something that can get stuck in the mud to now having a bailout and going on runs and having games like they, they did against Oklahoma state. Um, Final four is the ceiling for this team when healthy. Uh, We've seen that. You could say that about pretty much every team in the top half of the big 12, honestly, but uh, we've seen it. We saw it against Oklahoma state. We saw it, you know, their, their headline performance of the season was the game at Kansas, right? Like when this team is clicking, and playing at their best, they can run anybody off the floor. That's the thing is like, it speaks to a kind of confidence and where their heads at, as far as a program of what their priorities Mm -hmm. are, where, yeah, it it seems pretty clear that he could have played sooner. Like I am very much proponent of make sure they're healthy. Like obviously that is, of the utmost importance, that's not the reality of the situation most of the time. It's okay, are you, what, 80 70%? Like, let us know. When are you capable of getting back out there, especially when he makes as big of a difference for TCU as he does? Because you think, well, if you're out there, and even if you're not able to play at your best, you affect the way people defend us. You know, maybe it opens things up. But ultimately, when you're saying, which I think you made a really good point, Brian, that it seems like, 
they decided, all right, we want you to be really, really healthy to heck with competing for the Big 12 regular season because with him back even a little bit sooner, that's 100% still in the car. It's like, I mean, in, in theory, it's still, I don't see the the math, math thing as far as that goes to pull them back into contention at the top, but a couple games different, you know, you're only three games back right now. So that makes a really, really big impact, but it just shows, yes, they have aspirations that go far, far beyond competing for the regular season title. You know, they're looking at making a run in the Big 12 tournament. And then obviously they're looking at the NCAA tournament. And ultimately, when you get to that point where you're playing a lot of games in very quick succession, being healthy is paramount. You know, you see it play out every year that there's a team or two that has either a single person's key injury or overall, they're just very, very run down because of, you know, difficulty rationing minutes or they just have had injuries pile up over the course of the year and it knocks people out in March that you don't expect to be out as soon as they did. And so it seems like TC was pretty much trying to guard against that and saying, well, if we take a knock to our seed line, whatever, we believe that we're good enough to win from wherever we end up. Well, and and that's kind of the thing is like being in the Big 12 this year, basically every Big 12 team, with the exception of West Virginia, Texas Tech and Oklahoma, is securely in the tournament. Like, you know, if they have to hold somebody out because of injury or something like that, one, that gets counted. Like they, they actually take that into account when they're doing selections. And two, like they're secure enough that they know they're going to make the NCAA tournament. So it's about putting yourself in the best position for that. The one thing, though, talking about TCU that concerns me, if I'm you know, looking at them from the outside, is they are a team like the normal, you know, adage is that momentum is sure it's a thing, but it's not really that big of a thing. Right. Like, yeah, in a, in a game, you could potentially have it. TCU, it is like everything for them. If they don't get on a good roll, it can spiral very quickly. Once they get on a roll, though, and because so much of their offense is predicated on quick passes, on quick movement, when they have to play in the half court, and they have to play against teams that have guys down low that are quick. Eddie Lampkin is not a guy that handles quick post players very well. And so it's one of those things, I think, where, you know, most of what he does comes off of the pass, comes off of the, you know, the, the bounce and, and then really denying passing things on the inside when he is playing defense. So it, it's, it's interesting, I think, for TCU, if you can kind of gum up the works for them a little bit, they're not a team that I think can get out of that very well. And that's why you see such huge variance. They're either really on and no can seem to like, you know, throw the little stick in there to try to gum up the gears and, and then they just blow people away. Or you find that little hole, you get them to pause for just a second and everything falls apart. That I would be worried about that as a TCU fan because that's a very high risk, high reward strategy that's either going to do really well in the tournament or they're going to fall out really early because they're going to hit, hit that one team that just has the one thing they need to kind of derail them entirely. Let's talk about Kansas versus Baylor. What an absolutely insane, weird, and wacky game. A tale of two halves, to be sure. Baylor leading at halftime by double digits, and then Kansas came out in the second half and said, Ha-ha, we're inevitable. Um, Andy, <laughs> I, I'm sure you're going to have a full report on this at the Rock Chalk Podcast, but I just, what the hell happened at halftime? Like, did... Did the Monstars get there? Like, th- th- what happened? I did. I watched some of the end of this game. What did they switch at halftime for this game to go a complete like one eighty on its head? Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was kicking some stuff around with the staff over at Blue Wings Rising, and we were trying to figure out because, you know, we do player ratings after every game, and trying to come up with what you're going to do. And one of the things that we threw out was like, you know, the the like rating them to movie motivational speeches because that's the only thing I can think of, right? It's like Bill Self went in there and literally gave like the best motivational speech that you'll ever have because they came out with a ton of energy. Like they look sluggish in the first half. They look like they weren't really trying, honestly, at a point because Baylor was getting a lot of open shots and hitting them. And like, I mean, they shot like 62% from three in that first half there, which you knew they were going to come back a little bit. So like, I was like, Kansas is going to get back in this game. It's not going to be a complete blowout from start to finish because a lot of what Baylor was doing was insanely good shooting luck. But I did not expect 
that to happen. And it, it, in terms of what happened on the actual court, Dewan Harris, I think, is really what you point to there. In the first half, he was not looking to drive the ball. He was not looking to do anything. Second half, he was very aggressive. Offensively, he went after his shot. And then when he was passed to and was open, he took the shot and started to hit them. He is a guy that is very, very good. Actually, it was it was Jesse Newell that put out a tweet um, that said this year, when Dewan Harris scores three or more points, the Jayhawks are undefeated. Three or more points from Dewan Harris is absolutely ridiculous. When he scores 10 or more, they're undefeated in his entire career. Like Dewan Harris getting points means that so many other things are going well that you just like, you want to try to get him going. Like it, it's, it's, it's the absolute most insane stat that I've ever heard, you know, three points and they're undefeated on the year. So um, yeah, I mean, Dewan Harris is what makes that team go. You know, they they have one of the best assists to field goal made ratios in the entire nation, even better than TCU's. Um, this is a team we're not used to seeing for Kansas, but this is a team that makes a lot of their offense off of passing. And you saw that against Baylor. They were very, very quick passes in that second half. Baylor was really just far behind and couldn't figure out where exactly they were going. And I think what really helped them was that they had two or three options in terms of passing. There was at least three or four times where, you know, the pass came and I thought they were going to go one way with it. They went to somebody completely different and everybody was caught off guard. You could tell even half of the Kansas offensive players were as well. So the way that they, you know, are, are passing the ball right now and the way that they are playing in that flow is, you know, when it's good, like it, it's, it's TCU to that same sort of degree, but inside of an individual game where it's really good in one half and really bad in another half. So hopefully it stays good for the Jayhawks, but, yeah, I was not expecting it was like a 37 to nine run to start the second half, which is just absolutely insane. You'd never really hear about those sorts of things. Um, yeah, I just I don't know what else to say at this point. I've got an assist to field goals made graphic from CBB analytics that we're going to have to put out on Twitter this week because it is uh, it is something to behold. Brian, uh, I'm sure you <laughs> this game. Uh, what the hell happened, man? Um, Fog Allen happened, honestly. <laughs> like, Lawrence is inevitable. I don't yeah. know how. I just it just is, folks. It so like it was almost reminiscent of the national championship game from like what you saw in the first half of the second half for Kansas. But like, there was a national championship on the line. Like, there was a reason why you like saw that motivation switch and change. Like, okay, our season's on the line here in that national championship game against Baylor is like, we just want to win on a Saturday, you know, we just, just want to do it. And now they, they came out being more aggressive, came out playing more inspired, certainly. And when you are, are, are playing that way and get on a run that quickly in an atmosphere like that, we have seen that avalanche on so many teams. We haven't seen an avalanche quite on that level, uh, at least in a while, but it, it felt like that. It felt like it was just this overwhelming, unstoppable force of Kansas giving energy, the crowd elevating it. So Kansas gives more energy. So the crowd elevates it to another level. And Baylor almost looked shell-shocked to, to a sense. Now, Baylor is not a good defensive team by by at least their standards. Um they play those three guards. Those three guards are really good offensive players, and that's what we saw in the first half. But they have some defensive issues, particularly when you're playing against a team that has versatility uh, and positional size like Kansas does, at least everywhere other than other than center. Um, and that was exposed a little bit during that first run. And when everything started snowballing and, and avalanching, for lack of a better term, um, they looked shell-shocked and like they didn't know what to do. Um, that is a, a game where I, I think – if it was not played at Fog Allen, like I think Kansas probably still wins, but it is a game and not a blowout. So what Brian just said is that uh, Baylor is Kansas's national championship, and so <laughs> I did not say that. I just no, said it was a similar I'm, turnaround. I'm I'm kidding. Andy's look of like please pure disgust. Take me serious on this. Uh, I will say this is becoming in men's basketball in the Big Twelve. Like this is. This is a game to watch each year uh, because these are mm-hmm. two teams that are just flat out ridiculously good. All right. So if you didn't watch game day on Saturday beforehand, it was quite a lot was discussed, including the fact that the Big 12 could make history 
in the NCAA tournament this year if they get eight teams who are currently projected to make the tournament eight teams. A conference has never had 80% of its membership make the conference the national championship or to buy the NCAA tournament before in its history. I believe the closest he mentioned was that the Big East got like 72%. Like seven, I think Big East got like eleven of its sixteen one year. Whatever, like that percentage is out to it was it was a lot. But no conference has ever gotten eight of ten or eighty percent, and so this could happen. And the Big Twelve has never gotten more than seven in the NCAA tournament before. We've talked about this ad nauseum. And so, look, I I understand ESPN's bubble watch. We keep a close eye on it on a regular basis. Um, They don't have TCU as a lock yet. I will have TCU. I I will put TCU as the lock. I understand what their record in conference play is. Now they are healthy. I have a hard time seeing like them not making the NCAA tournament. So let's talk about two things. I want to do bubble watch for a second, but I want to talk about Mm -hmm. the other piece of history that's in play here. You saw the top 16 seeds they talked about on Saturday. The Big 12 had five of the top 12. Five of the top 12 freaking teams in the NCAA tournament right now are predicting mm-hmm. Big 12 teams. Oh, by the way, also there's Houston, future Big 12 member. <laughs> That's going to be fun. So here's what the bubble watch from ESPN, which is written by John Gassaway, is talking about. Here's the other piece of history that could be made by the Big 12. No conference has ever earned six top four seeds ever. Right now, five Big 12 teams are. If TCU looks like they did on Saturday and continues to play at that level moving forward, right now they're a six seed. If TCU goes on a bit of a run here, mm-hmm. the Big 12 has a legitimate shot at not only getting, forget the eight teams, six teams all seeded one, two, three, or four. I'm sorry, that's stupid, and I love it, and I've never wanted anything to come to pass more in my, well, I mean, I have three kids, so I have a lot of things that rather have come to pass, but just in this particular scenario, please, please, sports gods, can you shine down upon the Big 12 for the incredible season we're having by rewarding us with two historic things, 80% of the conference getting in, and six of the teams being top four seeds? And, and the craziest part about that is what they would have to do bracketing, like, shenanigans-wise, right? Mm-hmm. Like, to make sure <laughs> that, because because they play twice in the regular season, like they're not allowed to meet before the elite eight. So you'd have six teams for of 16 spots and you'd have to make sure that you can't have a one and a four in the same bracket or a two and a three in the same bracket for the big 12. Yeah. You'd, you'd be seeing like, you know, the number nine overall seed gets slot, have to be slotted as a four so that they're not in the same bottom half of the bracket as a two seed. Like it would, it would create some huge imbalance, which is insane. It'd be great to see. I'm curious to see if it will happen because it's unless there's some chaos elsewhere, like it's almost a zero sum game where like if TCU goes up, it's because some other teams fell back a little bit. Um, but I, I, I mean, you're looking at like, are you going to trust Indiana to hold on to what they're doing? Probably not. You're going to trust Creighton to hold on to what they're doing? Probably not. Right. So like there is a real chance this happens and it would be awesome. And I mean, they they wouldn't be taking down someone from the lower portion of the rest of the group to do so either. Like, mm-hmm. until you get to the Big 12 tournament, you're not facing Iowa State. You're not facing K-State. Like, their last four games are Kansas Tech, Texas, and Oklahoma. So, like, Kansas and Texas, like, even if both of them lose to TCU, they're, they're pretty securely up there Mm -hmm. so tcu can bring themselves up without then doing the you know crabs in a barrel and pulling someone down with them yeah the schedule stacks out well for tcu to be able to make this scenario possible because as you mentioned if kansas and texas lose like let's say they both lose that one game i mean they still have to face each other but like those teams are pretty solidly locked barring some insane collapse to be top four seeds TCU has this in play. That is a crazy thing to say. Um, that's insane. Okay, so How the other thing we get about. really crazy and let Texas Tech beat TCU, right, so that they have a good shot, and then West Virginia and Texas Tech both in. go on a tear, and then we get nine teams from the Big 12 in and six <laughs> of them in the top 16. Let's. I mean, if we're going to shoot for it, let's really shoot for it. If okay, TCU and then Oklahoma Texas Su- Tech, though, I don't think they're cracking the top 16. If no. they beat both Kansas no. and Texas, I think they would. 
Uh, yeah. Okay. That scenario. I'm, I'm they'd have you. to. They'd have to make. They'd also have to get a couple. They probably. Yeah. Probably have really to get to the out. finals yeah. of the Big Twelve tournament as well. But still, like, you beat Kansas and Texas after what they just did to Oklahoma State. You know, you go on the road to Texas Tech, where you know you've already had three top fifteen teams lose at Texas Tech. So it's not like it's that far outside the you know realm of possibility that that's going to happen. Would you rather get six? top six teams or get nine teams in personally i'd rather have nine teams in so yeah yeah, yeah mm-hmm. no no yeah 90 i don't of the think conference. the seed matters enough no 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 conference will getting getting 90 percent of your conference in when you're a 10 team conference like if you tell me some like 16 seed conference eight? got 90 in i would like eight teams I'm, in. i need eight we need eight and so this is this is where we have to turn this conversation okay there's Segway. there's because let's be honest, there are three bubble teams. I know that Oklahoma State and West Virginia are on that bubble. You're giving me side eye. Tech, we're putting Texas Tech into this conversation. I know that their non-conference mm-hmm. schedule is bad. Um, that's that's just that's Texas Tech's non-conference scheduling philosophy is always hot garbage. But As a whole. Texas Tech is the same record at the moment as West Virginia. They're both 15 and 12, four and 10 in conference play. They both have four games left to go. We have talked about this on the show. No Big 12 team since the 2013 tournament, the current 10-team iteration of the Big 12, no Big 12 team has made the NCAA tournament with six conference wins or fewer. The The bare minimum is seven. Even that's not a guarantee, but seven is the bare minimum. Right now, TCU and Oklahoma State both have seven. Um, I think TCU will pick up a, a couple more. Um, Oklahoma State needs to pick up at least one, if not two. I'm kind of hoping that the strength of the Big 12 this year will shine down favorably upon them. But let's talk about West Virginia and Texas Tech, who are both four and ten. I'm not gonna believe the tournament that the committee is gonna be like, you know what, you only won six conference games, but the Big 12's so good we get it. Okay. I'm having a hard time with that. Because seven and fourteen would tie the least wins ever to get an at-large bid and tie the most losses ever to get a bid into the NCAA tournament. So seven and fourteen. So remember that. Remember the seven Big Twelve wins, okay? So it's ha- so it's happened before. It would not be breaking history. It would be tied. It wouldn't it. be breaking history, but it is. You're 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 pressing your luck here. Yep. So, West Virginia, four and ten in conference play. Texas Tech, four and ten in conference play. If the Big Twelve is going to get eight, OSU has to get in, and then one of these two teams is going to have to be that eighth team. Texas Tech scheduled the rest of the way is at Oklahoma, TCU. At Kansas, Oklahoma State. West Virginia stretched the rest of the way. Is Oklahoma State? Poor OSU, man. Uh, at Kansas, <laughs> I just feel like I've said OSU on every team we've had a conversation about what they could have in front of them. Uh, they actually the have 15 games left. <laughs> uh, they're making up some from COVID. Weird scheduling quirk. Uh, uh, West Virginia has Oklahoma State. At Kansas, at Iowa State, Kansas State. West Virginia was the team where all like, this is the team getting in. I am putting it out there right now. Based on the schedules left, Texas Tech, despite the net rankings, and look, West Virginia is still way higher than Texas Tech is. Uh, West Virginia dropped from 23 to 32 in the net after their loss to Texas Tech. Texas Tech jumped from 61 to 54. There's still a 22-spot difference in the net here with them. But... With what has what left on the schedule, plus Kansas City, Texas Tech is the better bet to make the NCAA tournament than West Virginia if one of them is going to. We'll know on Tuesday because I don't think Texas Tech can if they lose at Oklahoma. Like for Texas Tech to get there, that has that has to be one of their wins. That that would be a bad loss. That, yeah, that is. I mean, there's no such thing as a bad loss in the Big Twelve. But I was when saying, it's, it's not a bad loss. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> but for, it's, for them to because of where their net ranking is, for them to rise right. up, they cannot have a uh, add a quad it, two loss to the resume. Yeah, it would offset the goodwill any win over like a TC or Kansas would do right. for them on their schedule. So, like, if, if you're Texas Tech, you got to keep this going, and that's the one you got to get. And then I think you you try and pick off either TC or Kansas. I think you circle TCU since that's at home. And then, okay, let's let's gear up for Oklahoma State. I think I think that's I think that's the path, and I I don't know if they do it. I don't either. Like, and this is my whole like uh, the whole Big Twelve getting eight teams in. 
with West Virginia losing to Texas Tech on Saturday, that is seriously in doubt at this point. Because your better bet was West Virginia beats Texas Tech, and then West Virginia mm-hmm. just needs two more wins. With, I mean, it's it's not an easy four game slate. You've got Kansas, Iowa State, and Kansas State all still on the schedule. Mm-hmm. But if you had beaten Texas Tech, you'd feel better. Right now, again, six Big Twelve wins has never been enough in the current ten team conference stand. Like, just it's not. One of these two teams has to win three. Give me three wins for West Virginia. It's one of those things, though. Like, if you look at every single year, we talk about two or three, you know, power five or power six conference teams that come in because they have really good wins against really good teams that, you know, don't, that most people think shouldn't outweigh the body of work, but for whatever reason it does for the committee. This is a year where a, a team like Texas Tech could take advantage of that because they have a win against Kansas State, a win against you know, a win against, uh, uh, sorry, I'm completely blanking right now. I just want to make sure. I have the, yeah. So they have a win against Kansas state, a win against Texas, a win against Iowa state. Yes. All those were at home, but they have wins against top teams. Right. So even if they don't get the one against Kansas, but they beat Oklahoma and you know, they say they beat TCU and they potentially lose to Oklahoma state and, and Kansas, but then get a win in the big 12 tournament. Like, I think that that could be enough for them to sneak in. Now, obviously you want them to have three, if they're going to actually like feel somewhat comfortable, but I don't, I don't necessarily know that they have to get all the way to seven regular season conference wins, especially if they can get one in the big 12 tournament or, you know, upset some in the big 12 tournament to get a good win there because they have the high quality wins that usually push power six teams ahead of the mid-majors that we all think have better resumes that probably should be the ones to go. Um, you know, it, it's about time that that actually goes for the, the, the Big 12 way instead of the ACC or the Big 10. The next two weeks are going to be insane. Every mm-hmm. game, like every game matters all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but really since Saturday to me, because I looking at that West Virginia-Texas Tech game, I thought it was a huge game for the Big 12 getting eight teams in, and, and it was. And it's these two teams moving forward, Oklahoma State schedule moving forward. We talked about what happens to TCU. Like every game in the Big 12 is is awesome. Every game in the Big 12 for the next two weeks has so much at stake historically for each team individually, for what the Big 12 can get into the NCAA tournament. Like there is so much on the line in every single game for every single team outside of Oklahoma uh, and for the Big 12. <laughs> like it's we have two weeks left in the regular season, and there are nine. There's five locks, one team that should be, and three teams all like, well, we can we can get there, we can well, do this. I think too the it helps the bubble is really Big 12's way this year. Like just looking from a, a national picture, like Oregon lost to Washington State uh, on Sunday night, so I think we can much count out Oregon unless they find a way to win the Pac-12 championship. Like that's a bubble team that's gone. Utah State. And New Mexico and Mountain West, I don't expect both of them to get in, right? The Mountain West isn't getting a two at-large bubble teams like that. Wisconsin keeps losing. Memphis had a chance to beat Houston on Sunday that would have really solidified their chances. They're not. They're still on the bubble. UNC keeps losing. Clemson lost Louisville, right? Like you have these teams who are there. Arizona State's another team in the Pac-12 that lost over the weekend, if I remember correctly, uh, or, or lost to Colorado recently, I want to say. So, like, you have these teams who are in position ahead of teams like a Texas Tech in the mix with West Virginia that are suffering bad losses. And, like, West Virginia can still lose but aren't falling off the map because they're good losses and they're they're bolstered by those metrics and net rankings and everything else the, the committee looks at, right? That's keeping them afloat. All these other bubble teams are suffering, like, sinking, eliminating losses. Big 12 doesn't have those. And so it almost, like, elevates you by default because you you don't have the chance to lose to a three-win Louisville team like Clemson did. You know? Like, because that's, because that's not there, you give yourselves a great chance. It helps that the ACC is down this year it helps that the american might just get houston and no one else it helps i mean you look around the country and it looks that a lot of the conferences you would expect to be strong are having down years as far as conferences and there's a lot of mixed bag in the middle and the mixed bag in the middle in the acc and 
the Pac-12 and the SEC is nowhere near as good as the mixed bag in the middle of the Big 12. It just it can't sniff its jock shorts. Strap, whatever. That was a dumb. I I regretted it as soon as it came out of my mouth. It's also how we're ending up with like like 10 teams from the Big 10 in most projections as well. Like the Big 10, the, the middle of the Big 10 is not really not great. that great as well, but there's nobody else. Which is what makes me think even more that, you know, the Big 12 could be a huge beneficiary because there's, again, you know, like like Brian said, there's just not the teams there mm-hmm. that would normally push the mediocre teams from the Big 12 off the bubble. Um, instead, the Big 12 has the best of the mediocre teams, the ones that you can make a reasonable argument and, and that have big marquee wins that you can point to as a, this team has a shot in the big or in, in, in the big dance because they beaten really good teams before that's usually the teams that sneak in are the ones that have those huge wins you can point to to say i think they can actually do something so let's throw them in there and give them a shot if you're gonna have five or six teams from one conference the top all top four seeds like you that does that should reflect on the rest of the conference right right like, the rest of the conference yeah, really hard it, look we i know we got a lot of quad <laughs> one losses but like it what, what do you want us to do here like <laughs> Uh, Brian, you have been awesome, man. I always appreciate your time joining us. I'm sorry we waited this long. Okay. I promise we will get you on again before the Insulin Tournament tips off at some point. Uh, do me a favor. Where can everybody check out all the incredible work you do covering college basketball? Yeah, you can find us on heatchecksubb.com. Uh, we have really college basketball covered from every angle. Um, we're a site with college basketball fans writing. Like we, we write about the stuff that we want to know as college basketball fans, as diehard college basketball fans. We're really ramping things up now that we're into the home stretch of the season, conference tournament primers, NSA tournament primers, like everything you're going to want and to have you ready to watch any game, Big 12 or a- anywhere else in the country, you'll be able to find on heatcheckcbb.com. On Twitter, same handle at heatcheckcbb, or me personally, it's B-R-A-U-F 33. You do a great job. Uh, Lucas, who handles your your bracketology, does a very, very good job. Uh, everybody should be checking out his work. Brian, as always, it's a pleasure, man. We'll do it again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Andy. Philip. Homefield. Jamie. <laughs> Homefield, uh, smile down upon Jayhawk Nation. Uh Coming up on Monday, we've had the Iowa State limited edition home field apparel release. Oh, my joggers are wonderful. Uh, The Kansas release that includes joggers, folks, comes out Monday on home field apparel. And is limited limited release, which means it only lasts for this coming week. So do yourself a favor. And go to homefieldapparel.com and check out the incredible Kansas line. Andy, can you tell me about the shirt that you received from home? Oh, it is it is fantastic. It is a 1988 National Championship shirt um, on a cream-colored shirt, which is fantastic. I, I absolutely love this thing. Pulled it out of the box. Couldn't wait to uh, to be talking about it. And of course I had to wait because I had to wait for home field to decide that they were going to tell people first. So, um, yeah, oh, it's fantastic. I am probably going to spend way too much money because I want one of those quarter zips, um, that they have there, you know, with the KU logo, I've been looking to get a good KU quarter zip for a while. And of course, home field can't really, you know, can't, can't find a better one than what home field's going to have. KU quarter zip, Kansas Jayhawk joggers. National Championship tee, two hoodies, a sweater, and two more t-shirts. It's a great collection. You can have it. You're going to buy it. Like, let's be honest, Kansas fans. Like, you're going to buy this stuff. I know you are. And Andy's like, I got one, and I, I need the rest. So don't forget, promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2 for 15% off your first order. Or if you're a Kansas fan and you enjoy the work that Andy does, Andy has a promo code for his show as well. Andy, drop that promo code. Yeah, it would be Chalk12. If you don't know how to spell it, then you're not really a Kansas fan. <laughs> you got a Jamie laugh. That's a good joke. That's a good joke. All right. The limited release starts Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern. That's 10 a.m. God's time. 
go check it out. Don't forget they have every current and future Big 12 school at homefieldapparel.com. Limited releases are going to continue all year long. I would expect more for Big 12 fans. Hey, this is Jamie Steyer Johnson, host of the Cyclone Family Podcast. I host a show with my brother, Eric Steyer, and the two of us were raised in the ISU Athletic Department, as my mom has coached women's basketball for over 20 years. Our involvement didn't stop there, and I've been a radio analyst for Cyclone Women's Basketball since 2019, and Eric spent his 2018 to 2022 years as a walk-on on the men's side. We get together each week to talk about what's happening in the world of Cyclone sports, whether that be current seasons, former players, or whatever else we find to be of interest. We'd love to have you join us. The Cyclone Family Podcast. When you listen, your family. Do you think Olive Garden can sue me for that? We need to touch on women's basketball before we get out of here. I do want to make one note. Baylor softball beat number one Oklahoma on Sunday. OU is no longer undefeated. Big win for Baylor. That's we will obviously talk a lot best. more. Yeah, we'll talk a lot more softball on Thursday, as always. Some really good start for, for baseball teams, too. Yes. Yeah, look, I just... Baylor knocked off Oklahoma. Oklahoma's number one team in the country. Oh, I know. Just, you know. No, no, but I'm, I'm just saying the Big 12 is off to a good start, both softball and baseball. TCU down there in Arlington, smoke showing Vanderbilt and Arkansas, two top 10 teams. Yeah, we'll we'll get a TCU guest on to talk about that soon. Don't worry. We'll talk TCU ball. Uh, Jamie, bald eagle. Oh, boy. Okay, so let me set the scene for you. Uh. Back in back in uh, the 2020-2021 season, okay, uh, we were we were broadcasting remotely for road games. So I would drive from the place I was renting into Des Moines for every road game. Um, it was a good 45 minutes, and we played at Baylor. We being obviously Iowa State women's basketball. They were ranked, I believe, number six in the country. Uh, I drove into town, and on my way in, uh, Iowa does have bald eagles. Uh, some some people did not know that. We do uh, out in out in the country. So uh, I've seen them before. It's not common. I'm driving, and and over my car, bald eagle. I saw it. I'm like, you know what? That feels like a good sign. I'm just, I'm owning it as that. It's not common. I'm going to take it as such. I continue in to the studio. We knock off Baylor for the second time in school history in Waco. I was like, damn, I was right. That was a good sign. What a day. Put that to bed. Close the book. On Friday, I'm driving to Ames from my home that I now live in, not far from where I was then. And I'm driving back through the country. As I'm driving, what flies over my car but a bald eagle, folks? This is real. I saw it. And I have messages to prove that I told my group chat, guys, I have great news. I saw a bald eagle. This means good things. We fly to Baylor, much like the bald eagle. Uh, well, I don't know that the bald eagle flew to Baylor. It probably <laughs> stayed in Iowa. But it could have. <laughs> you know, I was there, Iowa State, for the third time in school history in double overtime. Take down Baylor in Waco. Big game. Last double overtime game, Iowa State won Colorado as a conference game. Of course, of course. They'll play a lot of double overtime yeah. games. Well, of course, it had to be a double overtime game because of some of the messages that we were all sending back and forth about the Oklahoma State <laughs> and Texas Tech game that went to triple it was overtime. Karma. I took earlier. too much glee in it. I like I thought I thought it was too funny. I I took too much of like the oh no, I hope Oklahoma State isn't tired on Wednesday. The universe was like, Nope, you will too. There you go. <laughs> 
Karma is um, a word that I'm not allowed to use in the playroom. So, uh, or on this podcast. Um, watch, I cried I a watched, little bit. Not very I watched, much. I kept it together. Let's I'm, see. Okay, I'm a so big that, girl. that was the tears. No, no, it's okay. You can be emotional. I watched both overtime, so I watched a bit of the end of that game. That was quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting one. I watched. Interesting is right. I watched five overtime periods for women's college basketball on Saturday. I believe Noah said that's the first time the Big 12 women have had multiple games go to multiple overtimes on the same day. Ever. A fun fact. Uh, yeah, Oklahoma State and, with and I watched, three overtimes. I would say I watched six total overtime periods because I watched the uh, Texas-Oklahoma overtime in the men's side as well. So, you know, we had well. six different schools that had that went to overtime. Like, we had overtime between, you know, three different pairs of schools in the Big 12 on Saturday. Just out here breaking more records, making more history. Yeah. That's what the Big 12 does this season, men and women. Uh, yes, Iowa State getting the, the big win over Baylor. Uh, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, a very good matchup for Wednesday. I'm not sure OSU is going to be ranked for that one because I highly doubt that they will. But you got two teams, 9-5 and five in the conference standings, uh, tied for third behind Texas and Oklahoma, who are at 12-3, and three, tied for first does feel like a two-horse race in the Big 12 between those two teams at this point. Uh, look, we can't have this. We can't have a team that's going to be leaving the Big 12 in uh, summer of 24 winning men's and women's basketball regular season. I don't think we are. Uh, I don't think we want that. Look, this is not a shot at Texas like y'all. Awesome. Uh, you're leaving. So understand that becomes an element of this conversation where I, I we can't have Texas doing both. So, But on the women's side, like, the other options, Oklahoma. And in all seriousness, like these are two really good teams. Um, look, you look at CBB analytics, Texas is look from an offensive standpoint, they're the third best offense in the big 12 from a defensive standpoint. They're the set, the best defensive rated team in the big 12. Their net rating overall is 89. That's eight spots higher than Oklahoma. Whose offense is awful and defense remains not good. These are by every metric and standard this year, the two best teams in conference play in the Big 12 are Texas and Oklahoma. Now, granted, some just of that so, is wait, wait, Ohio. just just clear it up because you did say that Oklahoma's offense was awful. I think you meant awesome. Yeah, did I say like, awful? By, you I, did say I awful. Those. And I was like, I was like, Sorry. there's just something off there. <laughs> I was like, no, Oklahoma no. is ranked below multiple teams in the Big 12 um, over on CBA, CBB analytics when you look at the entire team. But Man, that that offense is so ridiculously good, um, but the defense is horrifically bad. You They're just off- keep expecting it to like come back to bite them, and they've done so yeah. well with mostly letting it not. It's it's honestly incredible. At this point, if it's gonna bite them, it feels like it's gonna come in the NCAA tournament. Correct. Um, Which I would be shocked by, but no. man, I you just keep waiting for the stupid loss. And it hasn't really come for Oklahoma. No, it it hasn't. Even when teams like score with them, you know, you look back at like the road game at Baylor's ninety eight ninety two, Oklahoma State in, in Norman ninety seven ninety three. Like even when teams are able to score with them or score well, OU just finds a way to outscore the opponent. I mean, it, it's it's insane how good they are offensively. Uh, they've just been incredible. And look, this Texas team is is good. Period. Hands down, like it's very interesting to see how this battle and they have, they play this week as well. Like they play what's the wait? They play on the twenty fifth, so that's Saturday. So correct. We get Red River on Saturday, which could very well decide the Big Twelve regular season crown on the women's side. Like that's that's a massive game. It's a huge game. It's gonna be a very excited one to watch. That game is in Norman. I would hope OU fans that you guys realize that and are like excited about that game anyways, because Oklahoma could win the regular season, the big 12 by knocking off Texas on Saturday. That's crazy. Looking around the big 12, Jamie mentioned Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma state, Iowa state play on Wednesday. After that, you've got seven and seven, West Virginia, seven and seven and Baylor and then six and eight, Kansas, Andy. We've talked on the show about, the depth of the Big 12 on the women's side as well, and how many teams we could see getting into the postseason. The number's starting to feel like it's closer to five 
if that. It's it's a rough spot. Like so, I mean, you have this this team that's perennially been a contender, like championship contender in Baylor that has really really struggled. This is their first four game losing streak in decades since before Kim Mulkey came to town. Kim Mulkey never had a four game losing streak in her entire tenure at Baylor. So you've got a Baylor team on a skid and they've still got to go play Texas again, who they lost to the first time. You've got a West Virginia team that is about as up and down as it gets. You know, they, they can knock some teams off. Obviously they took down Iowa state kind of triggered the turnaround a little bit. I think kind of gave them a come to Jesus moment at, who then went and beat Texas and Baylor this past week. But then to get absolutely stomped by Texas just today, Sunday. So you've got that. And then Kansas, who has had really great opportunities, hasn't quite been able to capitalize on them. You see the pieces. You see how they should fit together. And I hate it because they they – are much better than their record indicates like that's just facts like they have really really talented players and they have the pieces to be really a terrific team and they just haven't quite fallen where they needed to be this year and that comes from injuries comes from bad luck just whatever there's you can go down the list on that but it's those three teams competing for one more bit i i I just don't think that the, the numbers line up to end up with six bids and there's a scenario in which the pieces fall poorly for all three of them. And then how do you justify any of them getting in there just because there have been such bad spots of their seasons, which I don't like because they're, they're good teams. But again, you have to remember we're dealing with a big 12 that, has a national perception of being very, very down. Whether that's the reality or not, we'll see when tournament time comes. I mean, I have a hard time though, because I mean, you look at, you know, bracketology from a lot of, you know, there's like three or four different bracketology places that actually still do women's bracketology. ESPN being the main one, you know, they have West Virginia as one of the first four out. Um, So basically the second team out. Um, so they have an opportunity to kind of climb in, but Kansas and Baylor are, are nowhere near the bubble right now at this point. Like they're, they're eight and nine seats. Like Kansas, you look at what Kansas, they don't have, I think what you can classify as a bad loss, right? They have losses at Texas, at Oklahoma, you know, they lost both games against Baylor. You know, they have a gloss at Iowa state, um, you know, lost at West Virginia, like all of these games that they've lost are ones that are understandable. Like ones, especially when you account for, you know, injuries and you account for a lot of the different things. Like Kansas right now is running a rotation of sick players. That's it. You know, you, you have two players that come in for like four or five minutes in the game um, to, to, you know, actually have like eight people actually record time on the box score. But, you know, Kansas is running a rotation of six, um, which causes lots of problems when, you go against some really deep teams, but they've been able to play still really well. You know, they haven't gotten blown out in very many games. Um, you know, they've, they've come extremely close. You know, Philip was, was, was talking earlier about, you know, Kansas is the team of almost this year. They've come really close in a lot of these games. You know, they haven't really been blown. The only game that they got blown out in was the game against Texas. That's it. And, and that was at Texas. They lost by 13. And that was a game that they were in pretty close to the end. Um, and then, and then Texas pulled away, but everything else is within, you know, four five, six points. Oh, I'm sorry. Then the Iowa state game as well at, at Iowa state, they lost by 14. Yeah. That, I was like, that didn't sound right when I said it, but, but like two times you got blown out on the road against very good teams that are ranked really highly. Like I have a hard time, especially with some of the non-conference wins. Like Kansas started the year, them knocking Kansas out, unless they lose out, like if they lose at, you know Kansas what? State, if they lose at TCU, then yeah, sure. But there's not a bad loss there. And Baylor's in a similar you've, situation. You've convinced me, actually, because now that you say that, you're not wrong. And I'm looking at the net right now. We all know how heavily the yep. 
committee relies on net. Uh, you want to know who both Baylor and Kansas are ahead of? Oklahoma. Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma State. So you're right. It. I don't know. I just bracketology on the women's side is very much a pseudoscience. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, bracketology it's on the women's side is where it was on the men's side about 15, 20 years ago. Like, which well, is everything. Yeah. Well, part of, part of that's the lack of transparency by the committee and how yeah, this thing yeah, works. Exactly. So it's hard to make a good bracketology, even using previous data, to try and figure out what might happen when you get no information whatsoever. So, yeah. I, uh, I would say Kansas will, has work to do to make sure that they don't put themselves in danger. Losing at Kansas State or losing at TCU, one of those two, is enough to make people start questioning things. But just like with Baylor, like you can go through and you can justify a lot of the losses. You can look at what they've done and talk about the overall strength of their record and what they've put together. And it's hard for me to see without a complete collapse down the stretch from either Baylor or Kansas, how either of them missed the tournament this year, which, you know, at that point with, with Oklahoma state playing as well as they're playing, you know, that gives you six. And then West Virginia has a chance to play their way in as a, as the 17th big 12, which would be phenomenal to have 17 on the women's side and eight or nine teams on the men's side, um, you know, setting up for everybody to talk about how, how quote unquote disappointing it is that the big 12 got so many teams in and then didn't get, you know, national champions on either side. The, the biggest thing for the, for the women on this, to, at this point is, <clears throat> and going off Charlie cream's projection, his is from Friday. So it doesn't include this weekend's games. I'll be curious to see his latest projection this week yeah. is Oklahoma, and Texas are four seeds. No one else is higher than a four seed. That's it. You got Iowa State is a five. Everyone else is is an eight or lower that's currently in there. So <clears throat> not a great situation. If you're a four seed, you can at least host your first round uh, games. But uh, gonna be gonna be tough. Women's women's is tough just because you have to go on the road and, and play true road games early. Uh, in the tournament. So we'll, we'll see how this stacks up. Obviously something to keep an eye on. Obviously Iowa will state continue. will be up to a four in his next bracketology. If he releases one early this week. And Good. then there's a, um, the last top 16 releases on Thursday. If Iowa state takes down Oklahoma state on Wednesday, I guarantee they are in it. Iowa state is currently 13 in the net. They just need to give the committee a reason to host. I like it. I like what I hear. We will continue to follow this all the way until Selection Sunday. Abs, of course. Uh, also, make sure you're listening to Midwest Madness. Robbie Triano doing a great job hosting our Big 12 basketball podcast over there. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at 1012network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. I'll have that CBB analytics graph that, uh, that we mentioned earlier to share. You can uh, check out Andy on the Rock Chalk podcast at Andy Mitz 12 that's 2T, uh, on Twitter. And you can find Jamie J. Styes, J-S-E, uh, oh J-S-T-E-Y-C. She has a T as well. I painted a wall this weekend. Leave me alone. <laughs> okay, it hung it's shelves. It's a damn good wall. It is. Born Batten, folks. You can be jealous. It's fine. Uh, I lost the train of thought. Screw it. Jamie hosts Mission Accomplished Family Podcast with her brother Eric. Uh, and she's on Twitter as well. I already said it. I'm not going to do it again because I'll fumble the ball. Uh, follow it. I'm done. All right. We'll talk softball, baseball. We'll have guests on Thursday. We'll be back then. Y'all have a good week. Podcast Network.